Lord Have Mercy is a podcast about God, sex, and the Bible. I'm your host, Crystal Cheatham. Merry Christmas, my friends! Christmas always reminds me of high church, and for the past year, I've been attending a local church that is all praise music with a sprinkling of worship thought at the end. Nothing like the choirs and robes and programs and wreaths and candles and sacred wine and sacred water and 45-minute long sermons that go along with what I am now calling high church. Some of that can be hella boring to some folks like us, and by us I mean me, but my next guest, guests actually, uh, Ray and Elizabeth of the Disrupt Worship Project have seen the glimmer beyond the dust and know there is true treasure in worshiping like this, and they are totally nerdy enough to help bring out the shine and make it appealing to folks like heathen hearted me. Disrupt Worship Project is dedicated to putting a new twist on liturgy, and I wanted you to hear all about it. Um, we even talk a little bit about witches and Wicca, and mostly we talk a lot about diversity, which seems to be the theme this season. This is one way to enjoy church, and I hope you enjoy the show. You guys are the masterminds behind the Disrupt Worship Project. And from what I gather, you guys are trying to kind of blow up the Lutheran scene um, and make it more palatable for um, the unruly bunch that the millennials and younger crowds seem to be. Right or wrong? That's a a little, yeah, that's part of it. Um, Part of it too is, um, I feel like liturgy is something that pastors in congregations that are kind of resistant to difficult conversations, I feel like liturgy is something that can be used to start those conversations in ways that are sometimes more gentle um, than preaching, or if it's in the liturgy, like, um, people will sometimes, uh, not react to it in the same way they might in a sermon. Um, some of, when I was an intern, um, I wrote a confession for Martin Luther King Day and, you know, our confession is generally the same. Um, and so I wrote a different one and and I had it start out with the same words that we use in our book of worship. And then it started confessing like racism and sexism and homophobia and all the ways we put stumbling blocks in front of people. And it was amazing because you could hear the congregation get quieter as the congregate, as, as the confession went on. Um, and then at the end I had quite a few people walk up to me. They were like, did you write that? I was like, yeah. And they were like, I hated it. I was <laughs> like, okay. And they're like, but it was really good. I really needed to, to do that. And it got mm. me thinking about how, like, um, there's a lot of beauty and good in the fact that a lot of churches do the same liturgy all the time. Like, there is something to saying the same words that um, Lutherans or Episcopalians or whoever are saying around the world. Um, and like when my dad had brain cancer, he could do the whole service because he'd all, it was all the same words he always knew. And so there's something really beautiful to that. But at the same time, it can really lull us to sleep. Yeah. And well, we don't pay attention to the words because they're the same. So when we change up some of the words, it, it wakes people up and it, it disrupts the way that they operate in worship and shakes them up a little bit. So can you define for our audience what liturgy is? Go for it, Pastor. All right. Um, oh. So, um, liturgy is a 
structure and form to worship, um, where in the Lutheran and the Episcopal and the Catholic Church in particular, we're liturgical churches, so like if you go to any of those churches, the structure will be the same. Mm-hmm. Um, there'll be, you know, a call to worship and a confession, and it'll keep going through the same structure. If you're Episcopalian, um, those words always have to be the same. You actually have to get permission from your bishop in order to change the words. As Lutherans, um, and it's the structure like printed is, in the little um, what is it called? The little thing? well, there's for them, it's the Book of Common Episcopal, Prayer. Yeah, yeah. And that's and because Episcopalians are joined by their Book of Common Prayer, they're joined by the fact that they say the same words. For Lutherans, um, the structure is the same. Um, we have a book that has eleven, I think, different settings, and then the church gives us some stuff. Um, but it's the words we say in worship, and then it's also the fact that we have um, seasons to the year. So we have. Um, and Lent and Easter and Pentecost. Uh-huh. And so there's also a rhythm to the year as well as a rhythm to our worship services. Um, and that is, there's a lot of beauty to having that that pattern. Um, and, I, and I really have a deep value for that, but also, you know, want to kind of break people out of it so wait so what are you trying to do with with liturgy um I'm gonna throw this one to you mr beard yeah. over here you are reclaiming your time and i'm fine with that oh. <laughs> 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 um th- for me the goal of it with liturgy is um i mean i am in kind of the midst of Lutherland in South Dakota currently, right next to Minnesota, right next to all of that. Our denomination is 98% white. Uh, Through some conferences I went to and through some fantastic opportunities to meet people, I started meeting people whose voices and experiences look nothing like a majority of the people who have shaped what Lutheranism is. White, Scandinavian, German, (laughs) all of that. Male. Uh, And male. Straight. So we're gonna let me talk, huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but but all of you know the, the what Lutheranism is in the U.S. and especially in the Midwest and in the LCA comes from a very specific viewpoint. But to me, the beauty of Lutheranism has and, and my faith and what I've grown up with has always been the theology, and I started wanting to find places where I could hear people from different experiences talk about how this beautiful theology shaped or was shaped by their experience. Yeah. How it shaped them. And, um, you know, it isn't always easy to find, you know? Um, and so I, I came back from a conference and was just like, Holy crap, there are, I want to hear, I want to find a way to hear more about these people. And I, as a, I'm a, I'm not ordained. I'm not a pastor, uh, but I'm a thorough church nerd. I feel, um, and I wanted to, I wanted, you know, liturgy to me was the way to shape things because that's how, when we gather to worship, we communally walk through our experience with God. Mm-hmm. 
it's different than when we're at home alone reading a Bible study or reading scripture or, you know, whatever. It's where we come together. You know, we confess together. We profess our faith together. We do all of that. And so the ability or having an opportunity to have people confront experiences that are not just like they've had to see that the world and our faith and our theology is so much more broad than our experience. Um, Liturgy seems to be a good way to do that because when we kind of like she talked about with her confession, if you've got a, you know, church that's mostly white confessing that we have a history of being pretty crappy about stuff, either nationally or as a church or just culturally, um, that that's challenging and that to, to do that in worship together in a place where we can admit and confront some of those that really bad stuff, Mm -hmm. but then at the same time still here, but you are loved, you are a child of God, you are forgiven. Mm -hmm. That seemed like a great place to do it. And so I was like, can I do this with? (laughs) Because I'm a a lay person. I would have to come up with, it would have to just blow the socks off of everything for it to be taken seriously. And so I met this lady on Twitter (laughs) <laughs> Mostly because she had an overnight flight, forgot her headphones, and was concerned about the number of children on her flight. And I wished her blessings and peace on her flight. That's so sweet. <laughs> yeah. And you got me through a flight of screaming children. It was amazing. <laughs> um, and, you know, we, as, you know, nothing happened right away with that, but we realized that we had a lot of similar things that we wanted to see the church address differently. And, um, you know, we knew enough of the same people who were just fantastic. Oh, cool. yeah. And she knew a lot of other people. And, you know, we you guys got radical together. Yeah, we started messing with shit. <laughs> it's my favorite pastime, messing with shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how do you find the different people to... Oh, wait, so before I jump ahead, um, what is the project that you're working on right now? So it is, do you... My understanding is that you do have an advent season project that you're working on yeah we just um we're finishing up at the end of advent so um we wrote a for if people aren't familiar with this um in many churches there's an advent wreath um with the four candles and the candle in the middle and in a lot of churches we have a a litany words we say that go along with the lighting of the candles each week Mm -hmm. and so um we wrote a we wrote the words to go with that. We wrote a litany and our theme for Advent, Christmas and Epiphany is embody. So we were really trying to focus on um, the physicality of Christ's birth into this world and the the bloody mess of it. And um, think about how we, we view the body, um, how we view the body within that and what the incarnation really means. And then when we move into Epiphany, um, there's a little more reading on, on, what it means for us to be embodied as a community. Mm-hmm. And so we'll be looking at that a little bit. Um, and like one of the things we've been really trying to do is pull, um, either pull out the dark and light imagery or give other options um, because it can lend itself to some really racist stuff. Um, I can you know, only imagine. Like, 
<laughs> well, you know, if if you're sitting in a church as a white person um, and you're always hearing the light is good and dark is bad comparison, well, that makes you, you know, like, what does that subconsciously do to us as a white person or a person of, with darker skin? Like, what does that psychologically do to you to constantly have that imagery reinforced? Yeah. Um, so we've been writing about that and trying to rewrite some of the uh, pieces of worship, the confessions and the prayers to really either remove that or use words like uh, brilliance and illumination and shadow um, and like obfuscation or night yeah. to get people to look at it differently. And I'm attempting right now to finish thinking about our Lenten theme um, and get some get some stuff basically on the ground so that we can pull in our musicians because we do have some musicians. We just uh, haven't really been able to pull them in quite yet. So we're hoping we can get that complete for Lent. Hmm. And and every season is, as we, uh, you know, you asked, what are, what are we doing right now um, with the, the revised common lectionary? And there, there's an alternate alternative lectionary called the narrative lectionary. Uh, we're trying to, find different authors of different experiences to give kind of a, you know, when pastors write sermons, they look for inspiration. They, they go around and look at other people's takes on it. And so we're trying to find those takes that are less male, less white, less straight, uh, you know, yeah, all, know all of that, that sort of stuff. So if I, and uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, we just lost you. I'm still here. <laughs> <You're>... <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> so I, <laughs> I noticed that um, if I go to your, um, I think it's your author page or about page, I'm able to see some of the different authors who are contributing, and it looks like you are going out of your way to find brown people and people who um, sometimes don't get the platform that they deserve, you know. Um, and I get excited about that because I'm also working on the project. You guys know our Bible app and, um, so many of the easy to find authors and podcasters and video bloggers, like they're all just like very beautiful white men <laughs> and they're just, <laughs> you know, they're doing it and it's so easy to find them. But, you know, I'm on a mission to find the brown faces and the female faces and, um, some of those other voices that have already started to do the work, you know, but just don't get the limelight as often. And mm -hmm. preach. Well, and, and that was a big thing for us too, is that just by virtue of the way the institutions and society is set up, I mean, there are fantastic pastors that we know and work with who are white and male and straight. Yeah. But you know, the, the, their barrier to entry or just people assuming that what they have is some is worth listening to what they have to say is worth listening to. That's always just that given. And so it's, you know, it's obviously not that, you know, only, only people who aren't straight white men have something valuable to say, but trying to find a place to put that together mm -hmm. to, say, you know, here are some of these people, you know, it's just like the power of a Twitter list, you know, <laughs> you go, you find someone you like and you go look at their list and you're like, oh, I need to follow them. I need to follow them. I need to follow them. You, <clears throat> you know, that's, 
kind of the idea with it is there are these great people doing stuff who, you know, need to be heard. They are. And I think it's a, it's a, uh, it's a credit to you and your character and your passion, Ray, that you didn't go find another white dude to pair up with, that you found this wonderful beast over here. <laughs> <laughs> you know wonderful beast needs to go in your twitter profile now. <laughs> i'm laughing so hard because i barely know you guys but i feel so comfortable <laughs> like one of the things that i've been learning about a lot lately um that really intrigues me is is the concept of opportunity hoarding and that um those of us who are white um, particularly white men, but white people in general, like we just make the assumption that our voices should be heard. And we hoard the opportunities that are out there. You know, we, we hoard, there's only so many podcasts that a person can listen to. So we hoard the opportunity for podcasts or we hoard the opportunities for our voices to be heard. And so, um, and I feel like one thing we're really trying to do consciously is to not do that. Um, and to use the connections that we have and the people that we know to um, lift up other people's voices. But the the other side of that, you know, one of the problems that we're running into is that um, people of color and queer people um, and women often do so much free labor yeah. um, that we don't want to ask people to do more free work. And mm. so um, the people who are working for us right now are um, by and large, people that we know from one place or the other who believe in our project or who believe in us. Um, some of them are people who want to start creating their own platform, and so this is a good way for them to do it. Uh, but there are there are a lot of voices out there that we want to lift up, but we, you know, they're people who either want to or deserve to be paid. Not that the people who are on there already don't <laughs> deserve to be paid, to be clear. Um, but... Um, we're really hoping that we can expand our um, base of voices when we are more able to pay people for their work and their time. You know what? And, and part, part of that focus of expansion is not just demographically um, with that, but also uh, denominationally. Um, mm. You know, we're as both of us as Lutherans, that's who we know, <laughs> um, and we we would love to bring people in from you know, the Episcopalian church, the Presbyterian church, the Methodist, you know, any of these churches that, that, um, whether or not they have strict rules about how liturgical you have to be or, or what that looks like, uh, but who have backgrounds in that and to, to bring them in as well, because, you know, I, I don't think there's, you know, I think there's an opportunity for that in other denominations too, but we don't want to, you know, we're Lutherans. We can speak to where the Lutheran church needs to step up or shut up or, right. you know, do whatever. And, you know, it's not really, you know, I'm not going to step into the Presbyterian church and be like, you know where they've got it wrong, <laughs> you know? Um, and so we, we want to include that too. So, that, but yeah. we want to do that in a way so that those voices are coming from inside the mm -hmm. house that just got really horror movie. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah. And, and, and so part of that is, is, you know, getting some, funds which we're get, hopefully getting ready to soon uh, try to start doing so that we can bring people in that we don't have these personal or professional connections to you know what I mean I'm right there with you with um, with the app itself and trying to be able to pay people for the work that they do and and it's not just trying to compensate people for their time I want to create an economy around this brand of of Christianity that is introspective, that is 
that is constantly thinking about the other denominations and faiths around us. Um, because it, because I believe that the kind of Christianity that is trending right now is it's, it's very toxic because it mm -hmm. doesn't really care about, um, the spiritual side, the human side of things, the constantly changing side of things. And I think that, um, groups like us, people like us have so much power to, um, instill these new ideas and these new economies that, um, uplift voices that are, you know, you know, doing the damn thing and getting out there. Um, yeah. So I'm, I mean, once you guys figure out how to pay your authors, just let me know. Cause I'm right, trying to do right. the same thing. <laughs> just, I was oh. just gonna uh, have a bake sale and make really good cookies, <laughs> and I work on a college campus, so uh, you know. you're gonna make so much money. <laughs> yeah, fifty cents a cookie, give it to me. <laughs> just get so, get someone to sell. Just open a bakery outside of a dispensary. You'll be set. It's a uh, <laughs> Girl Scout did that once. Colorado, you uh -huh. can do that, right? Lord Have Mercy is brought to you by The Sorting Chat, a newish podcast where three women talk minutia related to Harry Potter, drink and laugh alongside occasional star guest stars. Like any true lover would, they take J.K. Rowling's source material too seriously, but not so seriously that they can't make fun of themselves for it. They post on the first Thursday of each month and sometimes more. Visit thesortingchat.com. Elizabeth, I wanted to ask you about, um, because last time we talked, we talked a little bit about the other kinds of, uh, the other kinds of ways we can be spiritually aware. And we talked about, um, being interested in nature and in, um, some of the other, uh, spiritual realities that are out there that kind of have been, uh, shunned by Christianity. And so I recently looked up Wicca, and, um, and the first thing that's on the Wiccan page is, we are not Satanists. <laughs> <laughs> right? You know? And then it and goes... And that's true. And it's... Right? But, like, I, I guess, you know, I'm really ashamed to say that, you know, for the longest time, I never actually, t you know, took the time to um, fully understand what it means to be Wiccan. Because in at least the Adventist faith where I'm from, it's so easy to, uh, I mean, it's so easy to look at anybody who's not a part of our denomination and say, you're probably following the devil, right? And even more <laughs> if you call yourself a Wiccan. But when I went to the page, I realized these, these, these worshipers actually really care a lot about um, nature and um, really just nature was what I gathered from it. I'm sorry, Wiccan people out there who I am probably offending, but <laughs> but you and I had talked about. Um, I think you said you were you were studying what it means to be a witch. Um, I uh, kind of you know, there's been a really growing interest in in shamanism and in Wicca, and I was when I was in college, uh, one of my best friends, Joe, um, we met and. He just turned to me one day. I, I had no idea who he was. He just turns to me and goes, hi, I'm Joe, and I'm a druid. And I was like, 
the fuck? You're a what? <laughs> Get out of um, here. Let's say Harry Potter. I don't understand what's happening now. And um, so I learned a lot um, from him. And I lived in the House of Spirituality. And so um, on my campus, which was to promote spiritual open-mindedness. And so we would have like Fellowship of Christian Athletes meet there. And also uh, like Wiccan Samhain ceremonies in the backyard. So I got to see all these different things. And I started taking... Um, these witch classes and um i was like i don't want this is stupid i don't want to learn about magic like spells are dumb why is this happening and one of my friends was like no just give me give it a chance so i went and um the teacher was talking about um she defined a witch and so she's not wicca she uses the word witch um as one who remembers and one who remembers our connection to one another and remembers our connection to spirit and source Um, Because the world has taught us to forget that, to intellectualize things so heavily um, that we aren't Mm. trusting our gut anymore and we aren't listening to the spirit. Mm. Um, And then when she was talking about magic, like, I don't remember what word she used anymore, but she was basically describing the Holy Spirit to me, which was very strange. Uh, So I stayed Mm. and um, have really gotten a deep appreciation for uh, the way that the women that I, I spend time with do ceremony um, and the way that they, they pray. And like, I was also just like, holy crap, this is in Seattle and you are getting all of these people to pay $25 a week to come and sit in a room and pray and sing. Like, this is what pastors <laughs> try and do. And they can't get $25 a week out of people. How is this happening? It's magic. Um, and Precisely. You know, taking, taking, yeah, <laughs> taking some of the things that I've learned um, about prayer and meditation um, and, you know, using it in a way that works for my faith. One of the things that was great about the class is, like, I could always step out if something made me uncomfortable. Um, everybody was super cool and understanding, like, she's a Christian, so she's going to step out of the Hakate song, you know? And it's like, yes, I am, but you go do you. <laughs> I love that. And there were just a lot of like really cool pastoral care notes that were happening in there about how you take care of the family when a loved one is on their deathbed and, and advice and things I'd never considered before. Yeah. Like the things that, that I learned in this class, like she, it was just a lot of like pastoral care of like how you approach a family who's grieving. And it wasn't, that wasn't what I expected out of the class, but there was just a lot of really great advice. Um, And looking at ceremony differently like we do um in the lutheran church anyway uh all of our all of our ceremony is corporate um and there's there's really great things to that and there's really great reasons for that but there's also some private ceremony that they do um and so thinking about you know what would it look like if we had some some ceremony and some ritual around really hard personal things that maybe aren't for public consumption And are there ways that we can do that? Um, And what else should we be doing liturgy for? Like, you know, why don't we have liturgy for divorce? Why don't we have rites that help people recognize these really difficult milestones in their lives? Because it's really psychologically, if nothing else, helpful to to mark those things in a way um, with community or with other people so that you can... um, walk through something by marking it in a yeah. specific way. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I think that... Can you still hear me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry. 
Um, and that's one of the reasons why I think that the kind of Christianity that we have right now is just toxic. It's because we're not looking at other, in other places in ways to effectively serve the, the communities that, that are with us, you know, and we love to set up these barriers that say you're wrong and I'm right. And here's the line. Um, Mm -hmm. like how powerful and how wonderful is it that you are stepping into these spaces, even though you are a devout Christian, um, and sharing parts of your spirituality with them, the ones that, that can be shared all for the sake of community, which is, which is to me what we need when we go to church. You know, it's mm-hmm. why, why don't we just read things off of our phones? Why don't we, you know, it's like, because we, we need community. We need other people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really cool. Well, and, and I think that's even, you know, something about, you know, you know, part of, part of what we're, we're hoping to do is, is really provide experiences that do challenge people, but you know, aren't, oh, it's a cat. It's Teddy. <laughs> uh, no, that's fine. Um, you know, but, but being really conscious that especially in a place like, like church, like being in worship, you know, there, there, there is space for discomfort and for challenge, which we often shy away from because of what Elizabeth said earlier about we're worried about how we're going to keep our building open and how we're going to pay salaries and how we're going to fund ministries. But at the same time, um, you know, there's there's a real place for that and and that idea of community and and so trying to push but not push too hard or too fast, which we often see as as yeah. outsiders yeah. because it, because you know that. <laughs> So many things we I, like. I just look at and just be like, no, we we need to just understand this and figure it out. But not, you know, having to acknowledge that these things that are so near and dear to us often do take time and growth, and that person has to walk through that themselves. Um, but heck, you know, if if there if a pastor uses decides to use a confession, that half the congregation gets together and talks about how uncomfortable it made them. Mm-hmm. Well, shit, that's community. <laughs> they, they are actually getting together and talking yeah. about something that made them uncomfortable, likely in an honest way. And that's good. That that can start making change that hopefully will, the next time they encounter whatever it was that made them uncomfortable, they'll remember that and realize a different perspective or, or you know, any of that. And that... You know, one of the things we even talked about was so many pastors that, you know, talk about how they would love to try to challenge their congregation. But it gets so hard when they have to own all of it because, you know, it's, you know, it's not just that they're getting paid, but it's that they have debt from going to getting a master's in grad school. And they have all this, like, this, it's real world shit. (laughs) And so the idea of other voices that gave a pastor a buffer with the congregation mm-hmm. so that this liturgy that someone else wrote made them uncomfortable and then their pastor can pastor them through their discomfort. We hope, you know, our, our hope was that, that some people would find it valuable that way. And we can pull like, you know, and a lot of pastors just don't have time to take, you know, Isaiah 58 or whatever and make it into a litany that the people say together. Mm-hmm. So if we can take the time to write something that everyone can say together and so people can see that it's clearly biblical, it is clearly scriptural, 
tool because a lot of the pushback we get when we try to talk about justice and equity in church is, you know, I don't want politics in church. Stop talking about politics in church. And it's like, I am like literally reading Isaiah here. Yeah. Like <laughs> it is political. Um, but if we can take the actual words and use them in a way where people are reading them and taking a look at them um, and, and hearing and seeing them differently, then maybe hopefully for at least a few of the people, it'll be like, uh, oh, 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 this is, this is what scripture says. This is, huh. And they'll get to see like how fun and cool and crazy it actually is. Oh, I lost my thought and I'm sorry. That's right. We're both, uh, Ray and I are both extremely ADHD. Um, <laughs> and so every conversation between the two of us has multiple parts where uh, like one thought stops and another thought, thought starts, but there was no transition point. Um, and we get easily distracted when we work together. So. And let me tell you, there is no better business plan than two people with attention <laughs> deficit disorder getting together and saying, hey, let's make a plan. <laughs> we get really proud of ourselves when things get done, though. Like, right? we have, we have small parties. We're like, we just accomplished a thing. People who are creative are smarter than people who are more logically thinking. Is that I don't really know if that's really the truth, but it's what I, I like tell it. Myself. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say it is. It's, it strokes my ego. I will accept your premise. <laughs> right. Thank you. Um, I was gonna. I think I was gonna say that um, just reading y'all's work. Here's my cat scratching things. Um, just reading y'all's work makes me want to be uh, of the Lutheran faith. I am so excited reading your work. It's like it's just. Uh, Adventists are, um, we're Bible nerds for sure. And I grew up with the Bible, um, and Bible stories and, uh, people quoting, uh, Bible texts in order to prove a point when they were in an argument. <laughs> and there's, um, there's a really short video out right now where they just make of, make up, they make fun of the old woman who has a Bible text for everything. And he's this, there's this dude who's like in the grocery store and wherever. And it's like, yeah, you know, that, that was my reality. Um, and so reading your text, but also, uh, it, it really puts a fire in my belly and it makes me feel at home because it's not just, um, Bible. It's, it's personal theology incorporated into it. It's your story, your personal story or your writer's stories. Um, proving that the Bible is real and the Bible is infallible. We're growing as we go, um, and also trying to figure out what we can what we can manage because we do both have full time jobs, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, trying not to overwhelm ourselves. Can I say I haven't? We haven't used this phrase, but I really like growing as you go. That makes it sound like we have a plan <laughs> way that may or may not be accurate. Or that you're <laughs> balancing everything, and it's just like people keep throwing stuff into your boat, and you're like, no, I'm just gonna keep moving with it. Just keep keep it going. 
Sounds like an exercise. Go, go with the flow is how I roll. <laughs> Mostly. Mostly, yeah. Mostly, yeah. Well, yeah. where can people find you guys? Um, I, w- I mean, I wish I had more time to talk to you about like each of yeah. your personal stories and stuff. <laughs> Um, maybe that can go into another podcast, honestly, because seriously, I think that people would really like to know how you got to the ideas that you did about faith and religion and liturgy and spirituality and all that and community. Um, and, um, since you are already talking about yourselves so often online, uh, it should be easy. (laughs) Yeah. 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 To come. Uh, Um, but where can, where can people find you? disruptworshipproject.com is where they find the stuff that we're helping to make and get out there in the world Mm -hmm. at disrupt worship project is that Twitter account, which we are mediocre at doing well. Yeah. We pretty much use it to Uh, broadcast right now. We're not super uh, awesome at it. Yeah. Same thing with Facebook, uh, Facebook slash disrupt worship project. I am at Ray Gentry, the fourth with the number four, um, on Twitter. Because I am actually the fourth. And um, I am at Rawlings Eliza on Twitter. Um, and I have a, a blog. Um, it's called Feed In Arms Out at WordPress.com. Uh, it would just be Feed In, what is it? Feed In Arms Out. Dot WordPress. Yeah, dot, dot WordPress.com. Thanks. That's <laughs> um, why I keep him around. He fixes my words sometimes. Um, and. Yeah, I do. Uh, I do campus ministry at the University of Washington, and um, our website, uh, which is sanctuaryuw.org, has um, some Lenten meditations that I did for last year about uh, body positivity and loving yourself. Um, and I was overly ambitious and thought I could record one every day, and that didn't happen. But there's there's some stuff on there. They're recorded. They're not like yeah. Yeah, there's some written stuff, and then there's recorded pieces to it. Okay. Some of which has good audio, and some of which sounds like I'm in the middle of a gym because I don't know what I'm doing. Okay, okay. Um, and where can people go to actually support the work that you're doing? Uh, go to disruptworshipproject.com. We will be putting our Patreon up there as soon as we get a couple logos finished, which should be next week. Uh, we'll have a Patreon because uh, we're going to start that way because they decided not to change their fee structure. Um, <laughs> a lot of deliberation on that. Um, uh, and and if you like our Facebook page, we'll start posting stuff yeah. about our Patreon there. Um, it'll probably start at the end of this year. Okay. Yep. So. And that's it. I just want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas from the bottom of my aching heart. And, um, okay, bye!